Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller here with my fellow regional master instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how's it going today? I am. I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I can tell you're a little bit excited more than normal, and I know it's got nothing to do with that you're here with me again this week. I have a feeling it's because we have a very special guest coming on. Um, indeed, Marty. I enjoy our time together, but I really, really am excited about our special guest that is actually a returning guest. Right. Um, we got some amazing comments and feedback and people wanted more, so we're bringing them back. Marty, why don't you tell us who, who our special guest is? Well, our special guest, Mr. Rodney Korn. So a little bit about Rodney. Rodney has over 30 years experience in the health and fitness industry as a personal trainer, strength conditioning coach, therapeutic exercise technician international educator and presenter, author, researcher, and university adjunct faculty member. Currently, he's the director of Alico Education, promoting performance, learning, and kindness through world-class education and products to help make people stronger so they perform better in sports and life. For those of you that have been around NASM for a while, you recognize this name because Rodney was also the former director of education for the National Academy of Sports Medicine, co-founder and COO of the PTA Global Academy, Personal Training Academy, and co-founder of Feel Soma Self Osteomyofascial Applications. So he's done a few things. Just and a few. Us. <laughs> exactly. And there he is, the one, the only. Rodney Korn. Welcome to the show, Rodney. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. And I just want people to know that maybe under 30 who are watching this, that when it says I've been in the industry for over 30 years, I started when I was four. So I just <laughs> want to get that clear right off the table. Here we go. Uh, you, you too? Gosh, you yeah. know, Marty and I, we, uh, we totally understand that when we tell people how long we've been in the industry. So we started super young <laughs> and right. look at us now. Um, right. but young. Rodney, we had some, some great feedback from our first episode that we had, um, just a few weeks ago with you on, um, and, and I know we're going to talk about the two day workshop towards the end of our, um, our, our podcast today, our webinar, but, um, the, one of the questions that we received from someone was a wonderful question that actually came in today. So this is perfect, perfect timing. And the question was, is, can you tell us the difference between weightlifting and Olympic lifting? Are they the same thing or are they different? Short answer is they are the same thing. Longer answer is they should be the same thing. But one of the challenges in this industry forever is that we rarely define our terms. And so you'll hear weight training, weightlifting, resistance training, strength training, all of these terms that, that everyone assumes means the same thing. But technically, weightlifting is what is considered the Olympic lifts. That's the technical term. So if you're weightlifting, it doesn't mean you can't use that term. It just means that that term is technically for the Olympic lifts. Weight training is a different thing. Hmm. Well, Rod, for our viewers that uh, maybe don't have the, that extensive background in Olympic lifts, can you talk about the traditional Olympic lifts and can you discuss the differences? Yeah, so there's right now in the, in the sport of weightlifting or Olympic weightlifting, which isn't just in the Olympics, they have world championships, state champions, they have all the different competitions. But in a competition, there's two primary lifts. The first lift is a clean and jerk. And let me just start back. Both lifts go from ground to overhead. The clean and jerk goes from ground to overhead in two different movements. So you go from ground to shoulder in a front rack position and then from shoulder to overhead. In the snatch, the snatch goes from the ground and then it goes directly overhead. And that's where people usually catch it in a squat position and then they'll stand with the barbell overhead like an overhead squat from the floor up. So those are the two primary lifts that are used. 
Hmm. Thank you for that. And so are all the other lifts that you hear, you know, kind of versions of those, or are they kind of more regressions and progressions, you know, because you hear the hangs and all the different, uh, you know, all those fun terms. So, so that's, that's where the weightlifting, that's kind of a weightlifting genre. So everything that's associated with those moves or those two primary lifts is, can be categorized as weightlifting. And so each one of the lifts has basically phases or components that are all linked in a choreographed manner to get the bar from floor to overhead. Every one of those phases, so to speak, can be in and of itself its own lift. And so that's where they've come with a hang snatch or a hang clean. And that, for instance, a hang, anytime you say a hang, it's usually at the knee unless it's designated to be from the hip. So there's kind of the knee hang at knee or there's kind of a hang at hip, which are two different positions in those lists that you can then go to a clean or then to a snatch. And then there's the power versions of those. So if you hear a, I'm doing a power snatch or a power clean, the power means instead of catching it in a squat position, I'm actually catching it in a, an above parallel squat position in the particular, whether it's a clean or whether it's a snatch overhead. So, and then you have all different types of pulls. So there's kind of a, there's, there's a, what we call a drive shrug, cause that's really what it is, which is kind of one of the, the second pull. It's the first half of the second pull. And then there's a high pull that's from that. So you have all of these variations of each one of those lifts, which that's where weightlifting becomes extremely powerful for anybody because you don't have to necessarily do the full lift. Like if you were going to compete, to get the benefits of weightlifting. Hmm. All right. Well, those exactly. of you guys that are just joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, I'm here with Marty Miller and then our special guest, Rodney Korn. And today we're talking about weightlifting. Who is it best suited for? The, the what, the how, the whys. And so we're extremely, extremely excited to have you here. And of course, we talked about the differences between weightlifting and Olympic lifting. But if we take two steps even back from that, can you kind of tell us the the history of weightlifting or Olympic lifting? Yeah, so to get to the, to the point, weightlifting, actually lifting, the term lifting and that type of exercise started in the 1800s. So by the mid 1800s, they started lifting and they were doing all kinds of one and two handed lifts. By the end of the, the 1800s, Weightlifting was basically all these strongman competitions that we've probably seen that you would see in circus posters where they're lifting the big dumbbell one-handed over, over their heads. That it was the origination of, of the Olympic weightlifting. And 1896 was the, it, it appeared in the Olympics for the first time and it was basically chaos. And so it only appeared in the Olympics one more time until 1920. And then in 1928, it officially became kind of the, uh, an Olympic sport, so to speak. So it wasn't just debuting, if, if, to make it clear. And then in 1928, it became an Olympic sport. And that's when they had three primary lifts. And they were all two-handed two lifts. So we had the snatch, the clean and jerk, and they had a clean and press back then. And the difference between the press and the jerk is the jerk, there's a dip and then a push. The press was just once you got the bar up here with your knees straight, you're basically just dead pressing it over your head. And so those three lists stayed in effect until basically the 1970s. And then in the 1970s, I believe 1976 is when the, they, they 
took out the clean and press because it was really hard to kind of judge. And so then from essentially from 1976 on, we have the two primary lists that we see now. And then in the 1980s, women started getting involved. And in 2000, women started competing in the Olympics in the sport of weightlifting. So it's been around for about 100 years. Wow. Fascinating. Learn something new every day. Every day. <laughs> so, so, Rod, as we talk about Olympic lifting, it's, it's funny how sometimes people use terms. They don't even really know that they use it. But the Olympic bar, that's the standard term for anybody using a bar it's, do you have an Olympic bar, right? The, the barbell, but are there different for, like types of bars or is just the standard Olympic 45 pound bar? Yeah, I'm not really sure where the Olympic bar came from other than the fact that that might've been the bar that was originally used because it weighed 20 kilos or 44, 45 pounds for, depending on where, where you are in the US, we say 45 pounds, it's really 20 kilos is what they use in the Olympics because they go by a kilo, but yes, there are, there are specific weightlifting bars. And so you have, you can have a competition bar, you can have a training bar, and then there's also smaller, or I should say lighter bars that are used uh, for some forms of rudimentary work, basically learning how to do that. So anytime you take like a workshop with us, you either use some type of dowel rod, PVC pipe, or a, a training bar, so to speak. But there's, there's a, 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 tr a training, Olympic training bar, which is a full-size bar, not just the actual light one that you can use to, to figure out how to lift. And then there's powerlifting bars. So you, most people would wanna use a weightlifting bar because the sleeve of the bar, which is the end where the plates sit, those have rotation. And that rotation is vitally important because when you're moving and you have to, because when you're weightlifting, you're actually moving around the bar. So the bars, you're trying to get momentum with the bar and then you're actually moving around the bar. It's like a dance. And so if that bar and those plates don't move independent of the bar, then your hands are going to be moving like a throttle all that weight. And that can put a ton of stress on the wrists and the elbows. So when bars don't have optimal rotation and don't have the ability for the bar to spin when you, when you get under the bar, that's where it can be a, a real challenge. And so the bar makes a big difference. Uh, and that's, that's one of the, the benefits of having a good bar. A lot of people can use, like for instance, at Lego, we have Olympic bars. I'm sorry, we have the weightlifting bars, and we also have what's like a cross. We call it kind of a cross fitness bar, not CrossFit, but means that it has the ability to do all lifts, whether you're doing a power lift or a weightlift, or, or you're doing just your, your other functional trainings of whatnot. So we we created a bar that has optimal spin, but still is able to use for other bars or for other lifts. Hmm. Again, fascinating. <laughs> it's all about science. I'm telling you. Well, you know, I'm guessing if, if you can't dance, then we should probably think that maybe Olympic lifting is not up your alley. Um, but, you know, not I think true. that kind of brings me to my next question is, you know, we hear different populations, you know, people that are like, oh, I don't do weightlifting or Olympic lifting because, I, you know, I'm never going to do this in life or, you know, weightlifting or just for the people that want to get stronger or if they're, you know, involved in, you know, other types of, of training, you know, companies or they're doing different things. So with that being said, you know, this 
particular um, webinar that we're talking about was the, you know, the what, the why, and the how it fits for everyone. And of course, most of our listeners are NASM CPT certified. So can you kind of talk about what population is this best suited for and truly how does it fit or does it even fit within the NASM model in your opinion? So the answer across the board is yes. It, it, it fits for just about every single person and it definitely fits in the OPT model for sure. Uh, the reason being is that what we just talked about is there's different phases of the list and you can use those different phases. So little, little expansion on the importance of that is one of the primary correlations with longevity and decreasing your risk of all cause mortality is strength, but they're finding out now even more so power than strength. Uh, and I'll, I'll keep it at that. These lifts afford you the opportunity to increase both strength and power. And the phases of the lifts themselves are very simple. So for instance, going from the floor to the knee is a component of a deadlift. Uh, deadlifts also, when done properly, are just as effective for reducing or increasing strength of low back or reducing the chance or risk of back pain as typical therapeutic exercises. That's all science. So that is a component that you can use. Doing what I was showing you, if you're coming from the knee and then you're going up into a drive shrug, depending on the speed that you're moving, that will just alter the power output of that. But that's no different than when half the people stand in the gym and they're doing a shrug, but here you're kind of using your hips and you're going into a more of a full body shrug, so to speak. And then they, there's the high pull. So all of these exercises have and lend themselves the ability to be used by anybody. So you don't have to necessarily get the bar up over your head to be performing some form of a weightlifting exercise. So it just depends on, and it will always come back to what is the ability of the person in general and then what's obviously their ability today to do what you want them to do. Now, thank you for that explanation. And, you know, it goes to anything, whether we're trying to teach squats or lunges, if we can break down the biomechanics and then kind of start building into those more complex movement patterns, you know, then it becomes more achievable than most people think. And, you know, Rod, you know, when we look at this type of training, it's, I think people, they become real proud of themselves all of a sudden when they start doing what they think they might not have been able to do weeks or months earlier. Yeah. And, and there's a challenge component to it. And so there's people want to be challenged. And if you can challenge people with a structured, organized and progressive schematic, then people are able to achieve things in succession, which means if we can constantly get people to achieve, they're going to feel better about it. And weightlifting is not complicated to learn and go about doing it it becomes very complex if you're going to go compete with it because then the, then it comes down to ultimate precision and then you have to get very strong and be able to lift different amounts of loads and you have to to actually reap benefits from that from the general population well rod you just read my mind my my next question would be how does the training differ from sports i think you already touched on it but is there anything else you, maybe you can add to that yeah well to, to answer really to answer that question there's training for life, there's training for sport, there's training for uh, whatever you want to do that you can use the components of, of weightlifting. You can use 
just different components of the phases that we've already talked about. You can use a hang clean or a hang power clean or a hang power snatch. So there's variations that make it much more simplified depending on what particular outcome you're desiring. That's different than the sport. The sport, you have to perform the full lift. And then it's all coming down to what is your total weight that you lift between those two. So most all lifts have both of those lifts and it's your combined total that will give you a successful win. You can win a certain lift, but the overall meet is based upon the total amount of load that's lifted. So that's the difference. Well, those of you guys that are just joining us today, we have a special guest, Mr. Rodney Korn, who is the director of LACO Education, joining us. And we're talking about weightlifting, the what, why, and how it fits for everyone. So, Rodney, we're so we're learning so much. And I think, you know, these questions that are coming in and the way that you're describing it is making it easier for even myself to explain in the future and understand. But, you know, when we were talking about, you know, just going through and how anybody can start, I mean, one of the things that that Marty and I talk about a lot when you're looking at our NASM template, we're writing out some of these programs is skill development. And so I know that you're talking about these different lifts and we did just discuss the bars. I mean, when you're bringing, you know, someone that's sedentary comes to you and I mean, obviously you've been in the industry for a while, you get it. And you know, there's people from the couch that are coming in and they say, listen, I want to be able to, you know, be more powerful. I want to get stronger. I mean, do you start people, you know, using the bars? Do you use like, what's, what's the safest route? Is it a dowel rod? Is it a bar? Um, like when do we start loading the client? The loading of the client comes when the client's ready to be loaded. And so that goes back from a training coaching perspective is understanding, and I'll keep using the term, their ability. What is your ability level? For most people, what we do is you want to start, you can start with a broomstick, you can start with a dowel rod, you can start with a PVC pipe. Because the most important thing is to get the movement pattern. It's just like any other exercise. You want to make sure the person can perform a bodyweight squat before they're actually going to start loading the squat. They can perform bodyweight, shoulder flexion, shoulder horizontal abduction, all the things you want before you actually load that. So it's the same thing. That also gives the person time to understand the different phases and be able to link and sync that. So that's where this can always fit in any phase because if someone is just learning, they can go through and do the movements, but they may not be loaded very much. So it's not about how much load. It doesn't have to fit in max strength. It can fit in all your stabilization training as well because there's different components. So like I already mentioned that a Pulling from the floor up, whether you have X load or whether you don't have X load, that movement is still a hinge pattern. That hinge pattern, and then when it's loaded at various degrees, places necessary stress on all of the lumbar tissue, the, the torso, the core, as people would say, in through the hips, and all of that. That is vitally important to help people overcome their risk of low back pain, which we know is prevalent in the world all the time. It has been for decades. So that could be a core exercise. Other components can be used as a balance exercise. For example, when you do that drive shrug that I was talking about, or even into the high pull, typically you're gonna be up onto the toes. So can they actually come up onto the toes and balance, which that is a balance exercise. It's not a single leg balance exercise, but it still requires balance and it's a different form of balance because you're on your toes, you're not flat footed. So there's a lot of variation. And this is where 
weightlifting can be extremely powerful and can also bring in some new exercises that maybe other people haven't done that still have carried over into functionality. Now that's great. And again, it's just, I think a lot of it is teaching, you know, uh, our personal trainers that are maybe new to this. And Wendy and I've talked about this, take sprinting, take jumping, take anything. If you can kind of reverse engineer it back, you're going to find common movement patterns and you're just adding either volume, you're adding speed or load to it. But if you can reverse engineer it back down to the basics, everyone can do pretty much anything that we, you know, we try to get them uh, to do in their program. If we bring it back and just move them forward. And again, everyone's ceiling won't be the same, Rod, right? Like I'm sure you work with some of the world's greatest weightlifters, but your teaching methodology, I know you is going to be very similar. If it was me coming for the first time or somebody that is never exercised at all, you, you know, those patterns, you're just teaching it on that continuum to where they're at at that point And you know, what's next. Yeah, and so the analogy of sprinting is actually a very good one because sprinting is an Olympic sport, but there is Olympic sprinting, and then there's just how do I how do I run, and can I use those components of running and all the different kind of training that you can do for running? Can I use that in my program? Absolutely. So it's the same it's the same basic concept. And yes, when you break it down, you have to break down the, the lift, which we've already talked about. There's various phases to the lift. Then it becomes much more palatable. People realize, okay, I can do this, then I can do this, then I can do this. So master this movement pattern before we increase it. One of the things we do at Lakos, and we'll talk about that later, is we kind of have a top-down approach. So we try to even keep it more simplified. Because uh, what we're trying to get across is exactly the whole purpose of this this webinar right here is weightlifting can be done by everybody. The degree at which you do it is dependent upon your desire and your ability. Oh. Well, you know, Rodney, that kind of brings me to another question because, you know, we do have a lot of, um, you know, trainers that, that are coming onto our Facebook page that are really new to the industry. And, you know, they, they were in sport themselves. They love Olympic lifting. They want to, you know, be able to, to program it. Um, how, how do you, what would you recommend for someone that wanted to do Olympic lifting? They're getting into it. They're learning, you know, they're, they're learning the, the movements and now they're actually getting into these traditional lifts that you talked about. How would you program that? Would you do these lifts if they wanted to come and work out with you four days a week? Would you do those lifts four days a week? Is it better to break it up? Um, how can you kind of walk us through your brain and how you feel it would be in the best? In, I know that's a, that's a big question to ask. I'm not sure anybody wants to take a journey. <laughs> Why do you think I'm chuckling? I'm like, I know. Teach us your ways, Rodney. Like, so, how, how would you Yoda. program? That's an awesome question, and that one becomes that one becomes a little bit more challenging because it really comes back to the person. First off, what are they desiring to do? And again, what is their ability level? So someone could desire to compete, but their ability levels, I have zero, I don't know what I'm doing. So it depends on where they're at. But if you're doing a four day a week, you could do it four days a week. It's just how much you're going to do on each day. Are you going to do the same thing? Or maybe one day is going to be some type of snatch grip. When I say snatch grip, because a snatch has a wider grip on the bar, than the clean grip. So are you gonna do some snatch grip training and then there's some clean grip training the next day? Is it only gonna be in the 
skill component of your training session, depending on how much load that you're capable of using or not using. So if someone has the ability to use some load, then maybe one day you're actually training with load and the next day you're using a light load or, or very minimal load to do more skill work. So you're working a little bit more technique without load. So the answer is yes, you can do it every day, but it depends on what workout you're actually doing. How much are you doing? What's the volume of your session? What's the emphasis of your session? Is it specifically weightlifting only or you have other, other blocks of training that you're going to have into that? So it's, it's very easy to drop into a program in multiple areas and then depending on what type of program you have, and where you want to fit it into your training session. So if you're using the OPT model, one day maybe actually in that workout session or in the, the component of that. The other times it may be in the, the skill days or the skill section of the template. Uh, you can put stuff like that even in the warm-up component of that. So it just depends on what you're trying to get across and what that person is capable of doing. What is their, their capacity? That's a very general statement because it's very difficult to say, well, I could do this, but I would use skill and I would use a training session as the two primary areas and you could flip that day to day to day. So I actually have a follow-up to that. You know, again, when we were talking about the OPT model, you know, Marty and I emphasize so often about the acute variables and tempo. I mean, obviously if you're, you know, doing some, some power lifting, it's your explosive and everything, but are there certain, you know, if you're going to try to do these, these particular lifts, um, is there like a rep range that you recommend? Um, because obviously the tempo is kind of a little bit out the door because you're trying to throw it up. So it's not like, you know, if we say just throw it up for one or, and I say throw it up, you know, I'm talking about like the bar and get it to this correct position. How would you, how would you tempo that? Or what would the rep range be in your? So first let's, let's address tempo because I'm going to use sprinting. So in the OPT model, in the skill section, can you do speed, agility, or quickness training? Yes. And the answer is yes. Do you slow the tempo down to where it's micro, or do you just slow the intensity down a little bit? Basically, we're slowing the intensity down. So we don't have people go out there and run as slow as you can and then pause every step. So that's why I say that it can fit anywhere because it, Think of the weightlifting as sprinting. We don't have to be maximally explosive. And then if, so let's just go back to, I'm gonna use it as skill. And all I want someone to do in the skill is they're gonna do basically a drive shrug from the knees. So you can't see my knees, but I'm going down and there would be a bar or it could be a dowel rod. Depends on that person's ability and what they're capable of doing. So I may go from here and then I come up into a, a shrug, kind of a, power shrug, but I, we call it a drive shrug, not to inter, inter mix the term power, which is used in other aspects of, of weightlifting. So it's just boom, but I'm gonna come up fast, but I might pause. So I could use that in the balance component if I want to, it just means I got there faster. It'd be no different than if I lifted my leg and then had the balance in a sprint position, which is a single leg balance, or you were doing a single leg balance with arm and leg swings, which I've used a trillion times in the OPT model. So I have someone on one leg, but they're doing a, an arm and leg motion. So it's the same principle. So like we can't get too stuck and too locked in on acute variables because it's what is happening with the movement that we're doing. Uh, I could use it in the skill section where I'm pausing 
more like when we are learning to decelerate. We land and then we hold. So it's the same principle. We're going to explode and then we're staying. But it may not be maximal explosion until that person can work faster and faster. So it might look like this the first time they do it. It might look like this the first time they do it, or they might be going really quick. It just depends on what their capability is. So it, the, the, the amount of repetition will depend on their ability relative to the phase that they're in and what the purpose of it is and the lift that they're doing. So if they were doing a hang clean, then that could either be depending on what phase they're in, or I should say a hang power clean, depending on what phase they're in and what their ability level is, that can be part of the skill component of a, a match strength or even a power phase. So it just depends on what they're gonna do in that, that training session. So you may only do five or six reps of that, but it's a little bit lighter load. If it's in a power phase and it's part of the workout, then they may be doing anywhere from three to five repetitions, but the load might be a little bit heavier. So that's where we can alter and shift. It doesn't have to be only in one place in the model, and it doesn't only have to be in one phase of the model. We can still use it in stabilization phases because I would use it very similar, like I've already talked about, to some type of jumping. So if I put it in my workout in a stabilization phase, you may do a power clean and hold. That's kind of like a jump and hold. <laughs> so that's, that's what we, that's what I would do. And that's how I used it with people. So that's just kind of my two cents. No, that's great. So for those of you that are just joining us right now, we're here with Rodney Korn, the director of education for Alico, and he is talking about weightlifting, the what, the how, the why, and going through some amazing things already. But Rod, building off of sweating. <laughs> you're working. You're working. You're working. <laughs> Look at that form and technique. It was perfect. But one of the things that I was thinking about is uh, you were answering Wendy's question is, You've seen us do this. We've talked to our, you know, amazing people here that follow us all the time is, you know, you can go from stability, strength to power in one workout. It can be part of a progressive warm-up. Like we've shown that you can do that with a lunge. I can do a set of lunges at a stability tempo, then I can do strength and I can do some type of power. So when you break down those components of your lifts, I could easily see you doing that as a targeted, you know, progressive warm-up going from the pauses to a more continuous motion to right into a speed with or without a bar. I could see how you would do that easily with what you've described. Yes, it's, it's, it's really kind of endless and it's, so there's always two components that go into this. Number one, it's your creativity. How, and that's based upon how much you know about what you're going to do that expands your creativity. So, that's going to be extremely important. And then it's going to be relative to the knowledge you have about your programming strategy. So the knowledge you have about what you're trying to accomplish with the movements and the lifts, and then what you understand about the programming strategy. So utilizing the OPT model, just like any, any programming schematic is based on knowing that there's, I, I'm trying to keep it simple, knowing that there are <laughs> acute variables, each phase is, has a set of acute variables because it has a predetermined adaptation or response it's trying to incur. 
that's what the model is. This phase is trying to produce this type of outcome into the system. So this is the force that's being placed upon it, whether stabilization, any of the strength phases or the power. So to Marty's point, that doesn't have to happen uh, all of it in one workout. You can change that. You can change it from set to set to set. Depends on who the person is, what they're capable of doing. You could have three sets of a, of a, of a program in the OPT model, but set one is stabilization, set two is strength, set three is power, or set one is power, set two is strength, and set three is, is. so it depends on who you're working with, what you what you're capable of doing, and what you're trying to do. It's not just a coin toss. Here's what I'm going to do today, but it, it sets you up with specific styles of training. Is really what it comes down to. There are styles of training, and they're called phases in the OPT model, and so there are numerous ways to bring that out and place them wherever you want to. So I'll stop there because that would be a whole nother. <laughs> That'll be episode three, Rodney. I'm already yeah. You didn't know that every time you come, we're like, Ooh, we need to have you back again because Marty and I are just sitting back here listening. And, and again, of, of course, those of you guys that, that are joining us, if you haven't listened to the first webinar that we did with uh, Rodney Corn, you should go back and listen to it because again, it was fascinating. We talked about the waffle with the bar and we talked about a lot of fun stuff. Plus, we talked about our background and how Rodney was one of our mentors that we absolutely adore. So every time he gets on there, I get you know super excited. And you notice when he was asking questions, that's how we learned. Because when we would ask Rodney a question, he would fire back with a question to make us look it up. And then he would say, yes, you are right. Or no, look it up again. So um you know, so again, those of you guys that are joining us for part two, we're talking about the what, the why, and the how it fits for everyone with uh, Rodney Korn. And Rodney, I have a question that, of course, you know, me being a female, this is important. You always got to make sure that you're dressed the right way. So, you know, you hear about people saying that, you know, you either need to be doing, you know, Olympic lifting barefoot, or you have to have certain shoes, or you need to be on a certain platform, that the floor is really not ideal, so can you kind of clear all that up for us? Yeah, so let's just break it down to the different components. So starting with how you look. Um, <laughs> when you're doing the lifts, it's oftentimes more beneficial to not have real loose baggy shirts that can fly around because the bar might catch the shirt. I'm trying to be graphic without being graphic. <laughs> so because that bar is going to be sliding up the body, you want that bar as close to the body as you can for mechanical advantage. So keeping clothes that are fairly stuck to the body, uh, you don't want to have belt buckles on because it's going to slide up there and you don't want to, so, you know, being kind of semi uh, common sense with that. There are weightlifting shoes that people can wear and they just, all it is is a, is a, is kind of a leather based shoe and there's typically a heel lift slightly in a heel lift. Not everybody enjoys that. I don't like being in a heel lift. Uh, I would rather be flat footed when I'm doing it. One of the things you want to try to avoid with the weightless, which would be a suggestion, obviously it's your choice, you're, you're your own human being, but having like a running shoe or a real soft kind of raised shoe that can squishy and not super stable may not always be the best because of the way that you're moving your feet when you're doing specific lifts, depending on your ability level where you're going. So from that standpoint, just make sure the clothes fit pretty good, they're not loose and there's not things that can get caught as the bar is sliding up and down. No, the bar won't slide up and scrape you, so that's not what I'm talking about, but it will come close to your body so it can brush on something. 
from the space that you're in, really, if you can think of like a 10 to 12 foot cube, so 10 to 12 feet length and width and about height. Because remember the bar, if you're gonna go overhead, is gonna be overhead and the last thing you wanna do is punch a hole in the ceiling because the ceiling's too low. So just make sure that you have a space. The flooring, typically you want flooring that's, that basically has some type of concrete underneath. So depending on if you're gonna be dropping weights or not. If weights aren't gonna be dropping, just remember depending on what type of lift you can, there's always the opportunity for late weights to have to be dropped because that's the safety of the lift. To actually exit a lift or to drop a weight or to bail on a lift means that you have to let the bar go so it doesn't crush you or you don't get a, rip, uh, a limb ripped off. Not that that ever happens, I'm just trying to be dramatic. So the flooring, if you don't have a, obviously a, a platform, a weightlifting platform is most beneficial. Uh, and depending on the platform, if you can get one that has the ability to reduce the sound so you don't have pounding everywhere in the gym, that's great. But if you, can, if you don't have a, a platform, you can use some type of uh, semi-grip grip rubber matting that has the ability to absorb shock Basically about an inch thick would be sufficient in that area where the, the bar and the, the weights of the barbell would be at that time. So that's kind of the, the overall skinny of what you kind of want from a prerequisite standpoint to get ready to do what you're going to do. And I would strongly suggest never doing these on bamboo flooring, which I have seen people do in gyms that try to make them cute and not functional. So um, not a good idea. If you have bamboo flooring, don't do it. <laughs> Now, to, to that point, if you don't have, if you have a concrete floor that has some rubber on it, that's, that's fine. You don't have to necessarily worry about dropping weight if you're just doing some simple lifts. But if you're going to try to do weightlifting, you're going to try to turn that bar over or get underneath the bar, you're going to be pushing the bar, you want to make sure that there's a, a proper flooring. You also want to make sure that you have some type of bumper plate because the bumper plate is meant to bounce a little bit and absorb some shock as well. And that will save your environment that you're in. So just make sure you have good bar, good plates, collars, space, height, and you're wearing appropriate clothing and you should be dialed in. And then you just gotta find somewhere to go to get good training. Well, speaking of that, Rod, there's a lot of great information. We know people are really passionate about learning more about this. So are there classes that to take for people that wanting to learn to lift weights in a proper manner? Absolutely. The answer is yes. And matter of fact, speaking of that, <laughs> there will be an NESM and Aleco co-branded weightlifting workshop in Austin, Texas, June 11th to 12th. And we would invite you all to come out. And there's dinner on the house Saturday night of that course as well. Mm. Special thanks to NASM. So yes, we will be doing a two day workshop. And in that workshop, we will specifically be going through the clean and the, the clean and the snatch. We don't have the jerk component slated. We're just going to focus on the two fundamental components of the lifts. And it's really directed at, how to, what are we looking for from an assessment standpoint? Where, what do I need to know? Getting them ready to actually lift. And then how do I break those lifts down to learn how to perform them? We want people to be able to walk away confident, confident 
in how to perform the aspects of the lift and be able to help other people coach. So there will be some coaching involved. There will be learning involved. There will be programming involved. And there'll be plenty of time to ask questions and practice and all the fun things. In the Aleco headquarters, uh, we'll be fully kitted with all the right equipment. I love it. And then Rodney, um, I know you said those two, I mean, there will be, I'm, I'm guessing, continued education that, that people will be able to get out of that. And then, um, so if you can talk about that, but then also kind of talk a little bit of what if, you know, for myself, I was just telling you, I'm like, you know, my husband and I are flipping coins because we both can't go because we have kids. Um, so is there a way that I could still be a part of this without going to Austin? Yes, it will be live streamed. So we will have a live stream so you can be wherever you want to be. If you live stream it and you can't see it live the whole time at that particular weekend on that Saturday and Sunday, it's okay because that live stream basically becomes an online course. It means I can go back and watch it when I want to, and then you always have access to it as long as the as long as the live stream's open. It's meaning forever until something happens to the internet. <laughs> so that's what it'll be. There'll be CEUs. So we have NASM CEUs, obviously. Uh, if if anyone's out there and they have an NSCA, you'll also get that. So if you're one of those people who has multiple certifications, you're covered in that particular area. So yes, CEUs, live stream version, and live version. Live version will be more, more fun, but the live stream will be definitely worthwhile. Uh, we've had many people already go through a live stream with a weightlifting course and some other courses that we've done, and they really enjoy it because they're able to kind of see it. Some people prefer to just watch and kind of get a feel for it, and then some people have actually gone and practiced while we're doing that. We've got some feedback, yeah, what should I use? And so you can just use a broomstick, and you'll be dialed in on that. I love it. I love it. Um, there's yeah. actually, um, oh, Ken Miller has joined us, and he wanted to um, say thank, thank you. you for a great webinar. So, you thank know. You. I think you know him, Rod. I do <laughs> Um, but, you know, Rodney, I, I, for those of you guys that are thinking about doing this today, Marty, and it will probably, you know, say I am going to second that. But Rodney is one of the best people to learn from. We have learned so much, not just about NASM, but just a, a plethora of different types of topics from this man. And he is absolutely amazing. Um, but, you know, I know for, for me, um, you know, I, I want to say thank you for joining us because I love listening to you talk and teaching us a bunch of great stuff, especially because, I learned a lot of information personally myself. And I just want to say one thing real quick. So Lauren Heiser, who's our kind of weightlifting specialist, our education manager at Lego, she will be teaching that course with me and she will be a huge component of it. She was a, she was a former competitor in weightlifting, fantastic teacher. So she will be there as well. And that's another just call out for, this is not a male sport, this is a male and female sport. It'd be fantastic as many women involved because we know that now in 2022 versus 2015 or even 2010, the gap between the differences in training now is much more similar. More men and women are preferring to do the same types of training. So it'd be a very beneficial, especially if you're a trainer, because many people are starting to come into facilities to learn how to do weightlifting. And you want to make sure that you have a little bit of background in that. No, that's great information, Rod. I'm hoping to get there myself. I will, if I'm not there person, I will be live streaming, but it's, I'm looking right at my travel schedule. It's right there with, and it's even been highlighted. That means it's a priority. <laughs> you, Wendy knows how you I find am. a way, son. You find a way. Exactly. It's not like I'm not used to airports, but right. Rodney, thank you so much for joining us. Wendy, it's always a pleasure. 
And NESM family, thank you for attending. And we hope this, you found this information as valuable as we do. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable. Thank <music> you.